the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Chris Williams is engineering today's program. Today we're going to talk with Hans von Spakovsky. He's a senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation. He's also co-author of Who's Counting? How Fraudsters and Bureaucrats Put Your Vote at Risk and Obama's Enforcer Eric Holder's Justice Department. We're going to talk about the FBI report and what it really tells us and what maybe what it fails to tell us as well. We're going to spend the first part of today's program focusing on the extraordinary events that unfolded throughout the day today that resulted in what appears to be a, um, a shoe-in for Brett Kavanaugh to become the next Supreme Court justice. Uh, a cloture vote was taken earlier today, and a final vote will be taken sometime tomorrow, no earlier than 3 o'clock um, Eastern time, and we'll kind of uh, trace what happened today and, and how to interpret those events. Well, some of the uh, developing stories from earlier in the day, the Senate Judiciary Committee did release that executive summary of the FBI's uh, report on Kavanaugh late Thursday, and investigators couldn't corroborate the sexual misconduct allegations rather made by accusers uh, Christine Blasey Ford or Deborah Ramirez. And in an op-ed for the Wall Street Journal, Brett Kavanaugh blasted the wrongful and vicious attacks against him while admitting he may have been too emotional at last week's Senate hearing. And a lawyer for the Democratic National Committee and Hillary Clinton's campaign campaign provided documents for the FBI's Russia investigation. It has been learned. The September jobs report uh, was released earlier today. Lots of people are very happy. And Facebook executives support Kavanaugh um, uh, has triggered a rather support of Kavanaugh has triggered internal outrage among the social media giants, employees and backlash toward the founder and CEO Mark Zuckerberg. But first, the Senate Judiciary Committee released that executive summary of the FBI's confidential supplemental background report into Kavanaugh late yesterday. Uh, key swing vote senators vowed that they would continue to um, review uh, Friday ahead of a major vote on his confirmation. We'll bring you up to date on all of that. But according to the summary of the secret report released by the Republican committee majority, FBI agents interviewed 10 people. They reached out to 11, focused only on witnesses with potential firsthand knowledge of alleged sexual misconduct by the Supreme Court nominee. Among those questions were Mark Judge, P.J. Smith and Leland Kaiser, the three individuals Christine Blasey Ford claimed were present when Kavanaugh allegedly threw, uh, threw her on the bed and sexually assaulted her in the mid-1980s. Ford has variously claimed the episode occurred in the mid-1980s and early 1980s before testifying that it occurred in 1982. The FBI also interviewed two individuals uh, named in Kavanaugh's July 1st, 1982 calendar entry, which some observers said could have described the gathering where she uh, she purportedly uh, was attacked. His lifelong friend Christopher Garrett and Timothy uh, Timothy Gaudet, whose house Kavanaugh went to for beers, according to his calendar. Most notably, the FBI interviewed Deborah Ramirez, the woman who claimed in an explosive New Yorker piece that Kavanaugh had exposed himself to her at a Yale party. The FBI came to the following conclusion after the interviews. The supplemental background investigation confirms what the Senate Judiciary Committee concluded. After its investigation, there is no cooperation of the allegations made by Dr. Ford or Ms. Ramirez 
the Judiciary Committee Republicans wrote of that FBI report. And another new Supreme Court nominee, Brett Kavanaugh, penned an op-ed for the Wall Street Journal on Thursday, decrying what he described as vicious attacks against him while admitting he might have been too emotional during his hearing on Capitol Hill last week. I was very emotional last Thursday, more than more so than I have ever been. I might have been so been too emotional at times, he wrote. I know that my tone was sharp and I said a few things I should not have said. He made, uh, for example, reference to left-wing partisans in the Senate. It was true, but probably should not have been said by him, he wrote. I hope everyone can understand that I was there as a son, a husband, and a dad. I testified with five uh, people foremost in my mind, my mom, my dad, my wife, and most of all, my daughters. Kavanaugh described his testimony as forceful and passionate because I forcefully and passionately denied the allegations against me. He also stood firm on his assertion that if confirmed, he'd be trusted, be a trusted associate justice, writing that the U.S. could count on him to be the same kind of judge and person I have been for my entire 28 year legal career. Hardworking, even keeled, open minded, independent, and dedicated to the Constitution and the public good. Well, has more proof of the real Russia collusion scandal been unearthed? Well, the top lawyer working with the Democratic National Committee and Clinton campaign contacted the FBI's general counsel in late 2016 and provided documents for the Russia probe as federal investigators prepared a surveillance warrant. For Trump campaign aide Carter Page, sources close to a congressional investigation are citing in new testimony. The FBI official who was contacted, uh, James Baker, revealed the exchange to congressional investigators during a closed-door deposition on Wednesday. He said Perkins Coy lawyer Michael Sussman initiated contact with him and provided documents as well as computer storage devices on Russian hacking. The sources said Baker described the contact as unusual and the only time it happened. Perkins Coy was a key player in the funding of the controversial anti-Trump dossier, which Republicans have long suspected helped fuel the FBI investigation. And this most recent disclosure may, in fact, confirm that to be true. Well, the DNC and Clinton campaign had hired opposition research firm Fusion GPS in April of 2016 through Perkins Coy to dig into Trump's background. Fusion, in turn, paid British ex-spy Christopher Steele to compile a dossier, memos from which... Uh, were shared with the FBI in the summer of 2016. Sussman's contact with Baker suggested another connection between the early stages of the uh, FBI's Russia probe and those working with the DNC and Clinton campaign. The saga continues. And the September jobs report was released today following a solid private sector unemployment report and a dip in weekly jobless claims. Beyond the headline number, economists will look at other key things such as wage growth, namely will higher wages and plentiful jobs attract more people back into the market. August's uh, employment report was positive with joblessness remaining at 3.9 percent and wage growth, which has been stagnant, moving up to 2.9 percent from a year earlier. But many workers remain on the sidelines. And Facebook employees don't like Kavanaugh's support. Hundreds of Facebook employees have criticized a top executive after he attended Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh's hearing last week in a show of support for the federal judge, the Wall Street Journal reported late yesterday. Joel Kaplan, Facebook's vice president of global public policy, is a longtime friend of Kavanaugh, whose nomination has been threatened by sexual misconduct allegations dating back from his time in high school and college in the early 1980s. Well, Kaplan attended the dramatic 
6, September 27th, Senate Judiciary Committee hearing in which lawmakers heard testimony from Kavanaugh and one of his accusers, Christine Blasey Ford. The Journal reported that Facebook founder and CEO Mark Zuckerberg was asked about uh, Kaplan's attendance at a weekly Q&A session with employees last Friday. Zuckerberg said that he wouldn't have made the same decision as Kaplan, but that the executive had not violated any company policies. However, Zuckerberg's response has failed to quell the furor. Apparently, individuals on their own time are not free to express their own priorities. Employees um, taking to an internal discussion thread to criticize Kaplan's decision has continued. And on this day in 2017, Hollywood executive Harvey Weinstein announces he's taking a leave of absence from his company after a New York Times article details decades of alleged sexual harassment against several women, including actress Ashley Judd. And on this day in 2011, Apple founder Steve Jobs dies in Palo Alto, California. He was 56. On this day in 1989, a jury in Charlotte, North Carolina, convicts former televangelist Jim Baker of using his television show to defraud his followers. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. When we return, we're going to talk with senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation, Hans von Spakovsky. So what was in that FBI report and what does it really tell us? We now know how members of the Senate have responded and we'll talk more in detail about that shortly. But what did the report say? We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show about 20 minutes after 4 o'clock. We're winding our way through some of the extraordinary events of the last couple of days in anticipation of what will happen tomorrow when a final vote is taken on the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh. Well, the Senate Judiciary Committee released an executive summary of the FBI's confidential supplemental background report onto uh, just uh, Judge Kavanaugh late on Thursday. According to the summary of the secret report released by the Republican committee majority, FBI agents interviewed 10 people. They reached out to 11. They focused only on witnesses with potential firsthand knowledge of alleged sexual misconduct uh, by, uh, by the judge. Well, the FBI came to the following conclusion, according to the Judiciary Committee Republicans, writing the supplemental background investigation confirms what the Senate Judiciary Committee concluded after its investigation. There is no cooperation of the allegations made by Dr. Ford or Ms. Ramirez. Well, here to talk with us about what that FBI report really tells us is Hans von Spakovsky, senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation and co-author of Who's Counting? How Fraudsters and Bureaucrats Put Your Vote at Risk and Obama's Enforcer, Eric Holder's Justice Department. Thank you so much for joining us. I always appreciate your insight. Sure thing, Georgine. Well, this was an extraordinary day. I, I, Susan Collins' um, nearly 35-minute um, explanation for her support for Judge Kavanaugh, I thought, was an appropriate capstone. But let's talk about this FBI report uh, that was called upon by Senator Flake, uh, completed in a few days, far few, uh, too few days, according to uh, Democrats, uh, released. And that led to a cloture vote because um, senators would then have an opportunity to review what was said. Your thoughts on what the uh, FBI report said and what we might have learned uh, that we didn't already know. Well, the FBI report, I think, simply confirmed what we already knew from from the from all of the uh, submissions made to the Senate Judiciary Committee. And what, what we all have to realize is that uh, these two women suddenly appeared, uh, made claims that were 35 years old, 
uh, and had absolutely no evidence to support it. It wasn't just that it was, they had no evidence to support it, but for example, with Miss Ford, she gave the names of several witnesses who she said uh, were there, who knew about this. Every one of them said they had no idea what she was talking about. And one of those was a, a lifelong friend of hers, a woman named Leyland uh, Kaiser, who said... She didn't remember any such incident, and she had never, ever met Brett Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh at any event with or without Miss Ford. Uh, when you combine that with the fact, and the FBI confirmed all of that uh, with these witnesses, when you combine that with the many inconsistencies, for example, in Miss Ford's story, and evidence now coming in that she apparently lied under oath uh, on, on uh, numerous issues, it's pretty clear that uh, there's nothing to this. I mean, it's just, it can't be supported. Uh, these these seem to be false allegations. And uh, there's no reason not to confirm Kavanaugh, given comparing that with his 30-year career, 12 years as an appellate judge, and all of the support he's received from the lawyers he's worked with, the judges he's worked with, and the many uh, law clerks, many of them women, uh, who have worked for him. Now, there are a couple of things I want to ask you about. One is the fact that there seems to be a desire to jettison the presumption of innocence, which has been a standard practice in this country. And it seems that as the Democrats sort of shifted their objection, uh, they moved from uh, evidence or cooperation to the seriousness of the charge. Uh, that the seriousness of the issue was sufficient grounds to reconsider his nomination or to simply move on altogether. Uh, this is a is particularly coming from senators. This is a, a pretty serious uh, shift away from what has become uh, historically the, the practice in the United States of how to deal with issues like this where you have differing opinions. Well, yeah, it would seem that the senators want to bring back the tactics of the Salem witch trials. I mean, literally, that, that, that's what it means. There's a reason we have due process. There's a reason that we have rules uh, like you're innocent until proven guilty to prevent what happened in America on more than one occasion from ever happening again. And you do not it, – it, it would be a, a shameful turn of events if Brett Kavanaugh were not confirmed because – uh, individuals made accusations that it then turned out were untrue. In a piece that you wrote for uh, Fox News, uh, you write that the claims being made by Democrats that the FBI was somehow limited or curtailed in its investigation because it didn't have enough time to conduct the probe show a woeful, ig- woeful ignorance of the resources of the agency and the extensive manpower it can bring to bear. Uh, can you elaborate a bit more on that objection that uh, if the FBI had been given more time, if the scope of the uh, investigation had been broader, then surely something else might have been uncovered that we could then reject uh, the judge on. Yeah, but see, the way to remember this is that um, Brett Kavanaugh hasn't just had this latest supplemental FBI investigation. He has previously had six full-field FBI background investigations for the various uh, federal positions he's held. Uh, I think most people out there don't understand what that means. Mm -hmm. I I do. I've been through two of those because of the federal positions I had. Um, That means that the FBI, in each of those investigations, went out and did a complete, deep-dive, extensive investigation into Brett Kavanaugh's life. That When the FBI does this, they go back and they talk to everyone you've worked with, 
went to school with, uh, as far back as they can, everywhere you've lived, if there had ever been any kind of real uh, incidents like this, I could tell you it would have come up in any of those prior uh, six FBI field investigations. They never did hear the FBI spoke with the witnesses that had been mentioned by these women who said that, that, that they would support these allegations, and every one of those witnesses said, no, uh, we don't know anything about uh, any of these incidents occurring. You write that first came the six FBI background investigations of Kavanaugh, then the Senate Judiciary Committee made public about 500,000 pages of documents dealing with Kavanaugh and his work. On top of this, the committee received tens of thousands of pages of Kavanaugh court opinions, articles and speeches, and Kavanaugh answered an unprecedented 1,278 post-hearing written questions from the senators. So it's abundantly clear that senators have all the information they need. We've seen, again, the objections shifting from one thing to another, finally settling today with the cloture vote and the announcement of Susan Collins and others that they intend to vote in favor of uh, uh, Judge Kavanaugh. Yeah, it looks like it looks like when the vote occurs on Saturday, he is going to get confirmed, although may only be by one or two votes. And that in itself is also, I, I, I frankly, I think shameful. And the reason for that is that um, with his 12 years as an appellate court judge, he actually has more experience as a judge uh, than almost any prior nominee to the U.S. Supreme Court. And his, uh, his writings, his credentials, uh, his reputation, his professional reputation is one of the highest of anyone that's ever been nominated to the court. And yet he's going to barely squeak through as a justice. I think that's a sign, unfortunately, of how partisan this process uh, has become. I thought the the appropriate capstone was Susan Collins when she spoke for over 30 minutes earlier today, addressing each one of the objections that have been raised by her colleagues, explaining uh, how she had come to the conclusion to support him. She addressed the allegations from Ms. Ford and others and um, how she uh, evaluated those allegations. She was very sympathetic and didn't deny that something had, in fact, happened to Ms. Ford, but questioned uh, the, the lack of cooperation and whether or not Brett Kavanaugh uh, might have been mistaken for someone else. I, I thought it was an excellent capstone. And then she made the announcement that I intend to support his nomination, followed by um, another senator saying that he intends to do the same, a Democrat. Uh, your thoughts on Susan Collins in trying to, to clarify uh, what m- many people might misunderstand about what has gone on in this process? Oh, I think she did an outstanding job of of, of doing that. Um, I think she gives a little bit too much credit uh, to Ms. Ford, uh, given the statements that have since um, she made these allegations have come up, uh, including by, for example, one of her ex-boyfriends who has uh, submitted information to the committee that would indicate that Ms. Ford lied to the committee about uh, several aspects of this this whole claim. So, but, but look, I, I think she did do a good job. And Look, the final, the final claim that is being made, particularly by Democratic senators, is that somehow when, uh, when Brett Kavanaugh got emotional and upset in denying these allegations, that that somehow means that he ha- doesn't have the temperament to be a judge. Th- that, I think, is completely wrong. If you want to know what his temperament will be as a judge, look at his 12 years mm-hmm. on the appellate court. The temperament that he showed um, in the hearing was Brett Kavanaugh, not the judge, 
It was Brett Kavanaugh, the person, reacting to false accusations that have been made against him and that have upset his family. And I, I just can't see how, how anybody else, I certainly, would have expressed exactly the same kind of emotions if those kind of false claims had been made against me. And that, obviously, too is not a reason to deny him confirmation. Yeah. Well, tomorrow there will be a final vote, and it's expected that Brett Kavanaugh will become the next Supreme Court justice. Um, any thoughts on uh, what happens tomorrow? Uh, you know, you can't, you, you can't count on anything in Washington. This has been so volatile that it looks like it's going to be confirmed. You never know. Something might change at the last moment. I think what this tells us, unfortunately, is if people thought this was poorly and badly handled, this confirmation, if this president gets another nomination and actually has the ability to replace one of the liberal justices on the courts that are one of the conservative ones, uh, I think the situation and the fight we're going to see is going to be even worse, which is just a terrible thing to say. Yeah, I can't even uh, I can't even go there at this point. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us on a late Friday afternoon. Appreciate it. Sure. Happy to do it. Thank Have you. Have a great weekend. Bye bye. Again, uh, Hans von Spakovsky, senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation and co-author of two books. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're just taking a look at some of the more serious issues that occurred over the last couple of days to bring you up to date. And later in the program, most likely in the five o'clock hour, we'll take a look at the lighter side of the news. So stay with us if you can. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 38 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, taking a look at some of the developments over the last 48 hours. Well, the Senate voted 51 to 49 for cloture on Thursday on Judge Brett Kavanaugh, actually today, on his Supreme Court nomination, allowing the debate to end under the chamber's rules. Senator Collins, Flake, and Manchin uh, voted in favor of Senator Murkowski, uh, or rather in favor, but Senator Murkowski voted no. Now there will uh, be a third hours of debate on the nomination when the debate time expires and or yielded back. The Senate will vote on confirmation of the Kavanaugh nomination as early as Saturday evening. Uh, that needs uh, to pass with 51 votes and Vice, uh, Vice President Mike Pence could break any tie. Well, yesterday, Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Chuck Grassley released the executive summary of the FBI supplemental investigation, as I mentioned, into those allegations. The supplemental background investigation confirmed what the Senate Judiciary Committee concluded after its investigation. There is no cooperation of the allegations made by Christine Blasey Ford or Deborah Ramirez. Judge Brett Kavanaugh is eminently qualified. Uh, the Senate's, um, uh, I should say, Matt Staver, founder and chairman of Liberty Council, points out uh, to serve on the Supreme Court. And it is encouraging to see this process uh, with a cloture vote uh, today. Well, that vote was taken, which means things are moving forward. And again, that clock uh, is ticking. Uh, I mentioned uh, briefly that Senator Susan Collins gave a speech on the floor, and I, I would have to agree that Hans, with Hans von Spakovsky, my guest in the last segment, she was very generous toward uh, the, the judge's um, accusers. But I think in order to um, win the hearing of uh, those who uh, had the patience to listen to what she had to say, that was a deferential uh, point that she made. Nonetheless, uh, she gave a rather eloquent 30, 35 minute speech addressing all of the objections. Uh, how this process used to work, putting it in a broader context, how she viewed the accusations and the investigations that followed and so on. 
uh, and then culminating with the announcement that she intends to vote in favor of uh, his nomination. Meanwhile, Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Chuck Grassley is demanding lawyers for Christine Blasey Ford to turn over records of communications between uh, their legal team and the offices of Democratic Senator Dianne Feinstein and Maisie Hirono in light of recently uncovered information. The senator uh, penned a letter to Ford's legal team late to, uh, Thursday renewing requests for evidence. Grassley said the evidence in question had been re- had been referenced rather numerous times to support Ford's allegations that Supreme Court nominee Judge uh, Brett Kavanaugh assaulted her at a high school party 36 years ago. I urged you once again, or rather I urge you now for the third time in writing to turn over the therapy notes, polygraph materials and communications with the Washington Post that Dr. Ford has relied upon as evidence. Uh, he wrote this following up on his initial letter sent October the 2nd. In addition to the evidence I requested in my October 2nd letter, in light of recently uncovered information, please turn over records and descriptions of direct or indirect communications between Dr. Ford or her represent, uh, representatives, rather, or any other of the following. Well, Grassley requested communications between Ford's legal team and senators and staff, particularly the offices of Feinstein and Hirano, and communications with the alleged witness, uh, witnesses identified by Ford, Mark Judge, Leland Kaiser, and Patrick P.J. Smith. Well, Grassley also called for records of communications between Ford's legal team and the other women leveling allegations against Kavanaugh. Uh, Ramirez accused Kavanaugh, and I won't even bother to mention those details. Uh, Swetnick, uh, who was uh, represented by uh, pornography um, Star Stormy Daniels attorney Michael Avenatti alleged Kavanaugh drugged um, the punch and was involved in untoward activity as well. Well, it's unclear at this point what the recently uncovered information is. Uh, Ford's legal team has yet to respond to Grassley's latest letter. The team only responded to the first uh, letter on Wednesday. Now, whether or not, given the vote pending tomorrow, he is going to continue to pursue this, we don't know. But that was um, requested as of yesterday. Also, the investigations into uh, the nominee appear to have concluded, but other investigations could open up into two members of Congress who sought to block his confirmation. Eight House Republicans have asked for um, ethics investigations into Senator Dianne Feinstein, Representative Anna Eshoo. Now, when uh, Susan Collins spoke earlier today, she spoke with certainty that her friend Dianne Feinstein had nothing to do with the release of uh, the letter that was sent originally to her and another uh, member. Uh, but the staffs of these two California Democrats, uh, as well as the members, are being questioned. The subject, the leak of the unredacted letter from Christine Blasey Ford, accusing Kavanaugh of assaulting her when they were teenagers. It would shock me if it wasn't an ethics violation, Representative Ralph Norman says, one of the House members who signed that letter requesting an ethics probe. This was a violation against Dr. Ford, who requested the letter be confidential. Senator Feinstein ought to be outraged that it leaked. Well, Feinstein, the ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, denied in a Monday statement that she or her staff leaked the letter from Ford, a research psychologist and college professor. Well, President uh, Trump and Senate uh, Republicans are trying to deflect attention from Brett Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh's assault allegations by saying my staff or I leaked the letter from uh, Dr. Ford. They're wrong, Feinstein said in a statement. Well, Norman said Congress needs answers. If Senator Feinstein didn't do it, then who did? Norman went on to say, you only have to put people under oath. This letter didn't go to 10 people. It went to two people. Initially, it should be easy to backtrack from there to find out who else gained access to the letter and who leaked it. So it's very possible that there will be an investigation into uh, to that.
Kim Holmes, in reflecting on the events of the last several weeks, makes the point that the fight over the Kavanaugh nomination proves that the Supreme Court has become too powerful, that legislators are now relying too heavily upon the Supreme Court to do what they cannot do legislatively, and that's why it's so important who sits on the court. Uh, Kim uh, Holmes writes, the stakes are high, very high, in fact, too high. The confirmation process for Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh has been a battle royale. But why should one government official's position be so existentially important? The control of the Supreme Court hangs in the balance, yes, but that raises the question as to why the court itself is so powerful. That certainly was not the original intent. Could it be that the answer uh, to that question tells us something about our increasing inability to govern ourselves as a free people? Let's face it, ever since at least the 1960s and frankly even before, we've increasingly allowed the Supreme Court to decide controversial issues we have been unwilling to solve legislatively. From civil rights to abortion to the issue of gay marriage, the high court has ruled on key issues well outside the legislative process. New constitutional rights were created out of whole cloth. If abortion couldn't be legalized at the ballot box or if gay marriage could not be made lawful by Congress or the states, a majority of the Supreme Court, a mere five people, would step in and do it for us. Using the power of the judicial review, a new policy would be imposed simply by redefining it as a constitutional right. The practice of judicial fiat is so commonplace, we seldom realize how radical it is. We are, quite simply, losing our sovereign power to govern ourselves. We have allowed the courts in general, but the Supreme Court in particular, to become too powerful. No single government official outside the president should be so important that his or her replacement could shift the course and destiny of the nation. And yet this is precisely the case in replacing retiring Justice Anthony Kennedy. If Kavanaugh is confirmed, and it appears at this point he will be, he will decide the balance of power of an institution that has arguably become more powerful than the Congress and as powerful at least as the presidency. This was not what the founders intended. Sure, we live in a modern age where a lot of waters has flowed under the bridge of judicial review. But that's precisely the problem. We've allowed those waters over time to become a flood, swamping in some cases the high court's main purposes of safeguarding our existing rights and preserving the rule of law. The irony shouldn't be lost on us that it has been primarily liberal activists who have tried to hijack the court to get by judicial fiat what they could not obtain legislatively. For all their professed love of democracy, rule by the people, They have resorted to the tactics that actually overturn laws passed legitimately by Democratic legislatures. The very um, insularity that the founders had intended to protect the high court from the political passions of the times now serves those passions outright. What was originally intended in the courts as a break on the mob rule has today in the hands of liberals become an accelerator. It's not uncommon for Supreme Court justices to decide cases based on what they think, perhaps divine is a better word, the people or the legislators really want. Perhaps based on opinion polls, for example, Kennedy may have thought he was merely delivering what the people wanted when he decided in favor of same-sex marriage. But in doing so, he was overturning actual Democratic votes that over the past 10 years showed a 60.93% to 39.07% majority against same-sex marriage when the issue had been placed on the ballot. Should not actual votes count more than opinion polls? Quoting from the book, The Closing of the Liberal Mind, ultimately judicial activism is harmful not only to constitutional government, 
but to democratic self-governance. When judges try to ram through their policy preferences by contorting texts, abusing precedents, and make up new constitutional rights, they undermine the credibility of both the Constitution and democracy. Ultimately, what is at at stake is the rule of law. There are people in America today who want the Supreme Court, the courts in general, to become little more than political tribunals to enforce their ideology and political prejudices. Due process and respect for the rules and limitations imposed by the Constitution on the judiciary are thrown aside for politics and power. This is exceedingly dangerous. It's how authoritarian regimes operate, not democracies governed by the rule of law. It is today arguable that the greatest threat to the liberties of of all Americans. That's why, now more than ever, the court must respect not only the original intent of the Constitution, what Justice Antonin Scalia called originalism, but the need to restrict the policy activist's role played in the court. Nothing less, rather, is at stake than our ability to govern ourselves as a free people. I suppose that raises the question of whether or not that's really what we want any longer. 49 minutes after 4 o'clock, went a little long. Quick break. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 53 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, there's a lot of speculation about what these events of the last several, well, a couple of weeks, I guess, might have on the upcoming midterm elections, which are just literally around the corner. Uh, some polls are telling us that the Democrat enthusiasm edge has evaporated. However, if Brett Kavanaugh is... Uh, in fact, confirmed, might that change? Well, according to NPR, as the Democrats see their Kavanaugh strategy backfire, the poll shows Republican enthusiasm up among men and women, each by more than 10 points. Democrat enthusiasm among women dropped. Again, this is po- before uh, the up or down vote. Hugh Hewitt says this, and the uh, the furious, let me get this right, the furious backlash is growing by the day as more and more people see and hear the goalposts move, absorb the devastating impact on Judge Kavanaugh's family, especially his daughters. From Sorab Amari, whatever the outcome of the immediate contest, it's increasingly clear the Democrats and the media establishment made an enormous miscalculation by waging total war against Kavanaugh and his family. Liberals set out to cast the federal judge, amiable, well-credentialed, mildly conservative as a demon in the process that They've reminded GOP voters and all but the most stubborn never-Trump intellectuals that there are worse things than Donald Trump outbursts and the ineptitude of congressional Republicans. And this from the Wall Street Journal uh, editorial board. Republicans across America can see and certainly their senators voting on the Judge Kavanaugh um, nomination should realize that the left hates them as much or more than they loathe Mr. Trump. Conservatives understand that for the American left, they are uh, all deplorables now. And finally, Steny Hoyer, writing for the Washington Examiner, is among those who realize American voters will turn on Democrats who admit they intend to impeach Kavanaugh. So there's a big question as to whether or not this will backfire. It certainly has been successful in fundraising. Uh, But again, uh, looking at uh, John Fund's piece on the subject, polls show a narrow plurality of Americans oppose the confirmation of Judge Kavanaugh and the Supreme Court. Democrats hope that opposition helps them win back majorities in one or both chambers of Congress in the November 6th midterm elections. But intensity... Uh, is what matters in politics. Voters in the key states that will determine party control of the House and the Senate appear to have turned against the tactics Democrats have used to fan the allegations of sexual assault and other sexual misconduct against Kavanaugh. The Kavanaugh debate, uh, according to um, 
Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, speaking uh, to the website Axios, uh, has uh, dropped a political grenade into the middle of an electorate that had been largely locked in a Democrats' favor in the past six months. Well, Nationwide, an NPR-PBS News uh, Hour Marist poll released Wednesday found that the wide Democrat enthusiasm advantage that has defined the 2018 campaign up to this point has disappeared. So, of course, everyone in Washington calculates everything they do and say and see and are part of uh, in terms of whether or not that's going to translate into support from constituents. And it appears, at least at this point, that that may have uh, have backfired. But we are, what, 30 days uh, out from the midterm elections. A lot can happen in 30 days. So I won't predict anything, just what these polls are, are telling us at this moment, this snapshot in time. And the suspected Democratic congressional aide accused of leaking the private information of at least three Republican senators repeatedly lashed out at GOP staffers and lawmakers on his secret Twitter account, calling them bad and dumb. Um, now, he is uh, referred to as a doxer. It's a phrase or word I was not familiar with, but he apparently had a secret Twitter account in which he was applying his trade. Jackson Costco, a recent staffer for Representative Sheila Jackson Lee, was arrested for allegedly posting the personal information or doxing of a number of senators, including Lindsey Graham, Mike Lee, Orrin Hatch, and others on Wikipedia with information such as their home address and phone numbers in the wake of the controversies uh, around the contentious Kavanaugh Supreme Court hearings. Fox News had uncovered two social media accounts that supposedly belonged to Costco, um, one which had been uh, active since October the 2nd is leaked uh, to his personal email account. He was arrested on the 3rd for this activity, which is apparently quite illegal. Well, the unemployment rate fell two-tenths of a percentage point to 3.7 percent, the lowest level since December of 1969, and one-tenth of a percentage point below expectations. Uh, non-farm payrolls rose just 134,000, well below estimated 185,000, and the worst performance since last September when a labor strike weighed on uh, on the uh, the numbers. And the closely watched average hourly earnings component showed a 2.8% year-over-year increase in line with the Wall Street estimates. August's initial jobs count was revised up dramatically from 201,000 to 270,000, while July's numbers came uh, came up as well from 147,000 to 165,000. Good news when it comes to jobs and whether or not that will translate into support for the president and his party in the midterm elections. Again, we'll just have to wait and see. All right, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I think we've covered uh, all we're going to cover today in terms of serious news. We're going to take a look at the lighter side of the news for the remainder of today's program. However, if there is breaking news, we, of course, will break in and share that with you. Chris Williams is engineering today's program. We're going to break for news and traffic right here at the top of the hour. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show on what has now become a fun Friday afternoon. Oh, what a relief. I'm telling you, my head's been spinning all week long just trying to keep up with who said what about whom and what report went where and who did what to whom and why they did it and where they were when it happened. It's just been uh, overwhelming. But we're going to move on to the lighter side of the news. The other thing is, you know, I'm a praying woman. And while I have absolutely no power to make any of the decisions that will need to be made in Washington, I do have access to the king under whom they all are allowed to exist and function and so on. And he's invited me and, by the way, you as well, to just come before him and 
pour out my, sometimes it's like I'm vomiting out my concerns and, and all of that. And he hears me and um, I submit it all to him and say, okay, Lord, this is what I think. No, I say, you know, your will be done. You are sovereign. You always get it right. Your timing is perfect. You're not on my side. I'm on your side. So you do what you know is best. And I'm going to try my best to uh, be a woman of peace and um, exhibit the fruit of the spirit. I mean, who could have joy at a time like this? Well, somebody who's got the spirit in them and they're bearing fruit. So that's my uh, desire. I have to admit there are times when it's a little bit tougher than other times, but um, that's who I want to be. Okay. Fun Friday. We have now flipped the switch and uh, now we're looking at the lighter side of the news and I hope you're in the mood to do the same. Beginning with uh, this guy who just apparently got so frustrated and fed up with his work. I'm not recommending you do this, but I thought it was a little bit comical as long as None of what he did has a direct impact on me. Uh, The story, a U.S. postal worker in New Jersey. I don't think I've mailed anything to New Jersey or I'm not expecting anything from New Jersey. He decided to quit on the job, U.S. postal worker, and he left thousands of envelopes on the side of the road. I guess you want to go out with a bang. Uh, Several boxes full of correspondence was left on the side of the road in, let's see, Pensacon, New Jersey, uh, this was uh, on Sunday. A Facebook user spotted the abandoned mail, posted a photo on its on the Facebook page where it was shared thousands of times. If you're looking for your mail, it may be on River Road by the 36th, 36th Street Station, the user wrote. According to the NewJersey.com site, the special agent Scott Bellflower of the U.S. Postal Service Office of Inspector General said mail uh, was out for delivery from the Roxborough Station Post Office in Philadelphia, but the postal worker responsible for the mail had resigned on September the 8th. We do not anticipate any further action against this individual. Well, I guess you can't fire him. He's gone. The Roxborough Station Post Office is going to deliver the mail. And let's hope whoever they pass that along to does not also intend to uh, leave. Now, when I was a kid, Trix cereal was one thing. They were orbs of fruit flavors. They were all round, one shape. They were red and orange and green and blue, maybe some other colors. Well, Trix cereal is bringing back their what they're calling their classic 90s fruit shapes. I didn't eat Fruit Loops in the 90s because I was so mature by that time. I was eating stuff like, you know, eggs and what what are mature people supposed to eat? Eggs and bacon, you know, toast and that sort of thing. Anyway, Trick Cereal is bringing back their classic 90s fruit shapes. Somehow I missed that altogether. I don't remember them. Uh, But the rabbit um, that represents Tricks um, are for millennials. Uh, something that they'd like to see come back. And I'm having trouble figuring this out because it's partially covered here. Uh, they're returning to the uh, the cereal, these shapes, this fall. Uh, they're going to be fruit shapes. The flavors include raspberry red, lemon lemon, orangey orange, wildberry blue, and watermelon, as well as one called grapeity purple. Now, who names these things? You put them in the bowl and they all essentially taste the same. They just happen to be different colors. If you're an avid Trix connoisseur, you know the cereal's fruit-shaped puffs have been missing for years. The brand killed off the raspberry, lemon, and wildberry shapes in 2006, reverting to the all-round shapes the cereal sported for the decades until 1991. That's when cereal was really cereal. There was no pretense that it was good for you. It's just sugar in a shape. Um, That's right. Trix didn't have fruit shapes to begin with, and that's not how 90s kids remember it. Uh, And now those nostalgic uh, craving millennials are uh, pulling paychecks and driving uh, marketing skills for cereal aisles and multiplexes. And so they're going to cater to you, young people, once again, with the new shapes. Now, I have to admit, my favorite cereal growing up was Trix and Cocoa Puffs. They were just round orbs of delicious flavor. 
They probably had absolutely no nutritional value and they didn't pretend to like they kind of do now. And occasionally I'd like Rice Krispies or Lucky Charms, which today Lucky Charm, I can hardly resist. If I pour a single bowl of Lucky Charms, I will eat the box of Lucky Charms. You put the cereal in the bowl, you pour the milk in, you eat all the cereal, you have milk left over. You pour more cereal in, you run out of milk, you put more milk in. And it's just a a cycle. As mature, at least in age, as I am, I still cannot resist just keeping that cycle going. Did you ever, did you happen to see, a, it was about a year or so ago, that uh, they had a giveaway, a box of just marshmallows? Really? Yeah. No, I missed that. I was a grown man and I entered that contest. (laughs) I thought, I am going to get a box of marshmallows. I know somewhere out there, someone wow. someone won that. It's probably sitting on a shelf somewhere. I would have wanted to just be like, all right, kids. See, I just, I love those kind of hard, crunchy marshmallows. Yeah. That's why I like Peeps. I like those circus peanuts. I just like marshmallowy <laughs> things. And I like them when they're kind of old and dried out. Maybe yeah. it's because I can relate to them. I, the, too, am old and dried out. One one piece in this uh, in the trick story that kind of worried me. Yeah, you used the the words tricks connoisseur in the same paragraph. <laughs> if you're a, a connoisseur of trick cereal, I think we need to kind of go back to what you were saying earlier about let's let's focus uh, our, t- our attention a little bit more to the Holy Spirit there, <laughs> and maybe maybe less on uh, the the fruit shapes that uh, that are melting and are bowl turning into a soggy mess. Yeah, as I don't enjoyable want to... as they may be, I don't know if I want to be a connoisseur. Yeah, cereal. I'm not sure I want to even think about what happens once the crunch is gone. Well, Popeye's is offering 24-carat champagne-covered wings in four of their locations to mark a major milestone. And I've, I'm seeing an image of them. They literally have sprinkled 24-carat gold on these apparent champagne-covered wings. Really? It just... Really? Four Popeye's restaurants are using the gold standard... Um, in a one-day promotion, the chicken chain announced a special menu item, that 24-karat gold thing. Uh, the company says the snacks are concocted with champagne batter and feature golden flakes. Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen president says that the fast food chain wanted supporters to help them celebrate a special milestone. Uh, we are thrilled to open our 3,000th restaurant and have even more guests enjoying our incredible fried chicken. Now, can you actually can you digest and... There's, goals. there's only one way to find out. I'd rather just wonder. And then there's this. Sick and tired of um, the beer industry's lack of pancake-infused beer offerings? Not to worry, because IHOP has you covered. The chain, famous for its breakfast menu and now arguably its burgers, has partnered with a New York brewery uh, to debut IHOP's Pumpkin Pancake Stout, inspired by the pumpkin spice pancake currently offered in restaurants. You know, your culture has gotten to be really decadent when you have 24-karat gold chicken and uh, you have to come up with different ways to make the common pancake. And then there's Coca-Cola, soft drink uh, drink titan. Coca-Cola is closely watching the market for drinks infused with, let's see, cannabidiol, CBD or cannabis, essentially, the chemical in marijuana believed to relieve pain and anxiety. So as if Coke that started out with another drug wasn't bad enough, just gut rot, now they want to consider the possibility of including cannabis extract in their beverage. Uh, noting the space for cannabidiol or diol or something based drinks is evolving quickly. The company stressed that the ingredient doesn't produce the high that comes from another cannabis derived chemical, the THC. But along with many others in the beverage industry, we're closely watching the growth of non psychoactive CBD as an ingredient in functional wellness beverages around the world. Now, if I'm looking for a 
functional wellness beverage, I'm probably not going to look at Coca-Cola. I'm just saying. No, this is just water. I do have a Coke cup here, uh, but I'm drinking water. Wow. Coca-Cola looking out for your and my health. <laughs> and then there's this, you know, we're not that far off from uh, from Christmas. The end of um, Thanksgiving, the very next day, all the Christmas stuff, at least in your home, goes up. If you go to a retail outlet right now, you can find all the Christmas stuff you never wanted to see. But a Seattle company is selling a novelty mac and cheese candy cane. A novelty item company is getting an early start on Christmas with a new and unusual festive treat, macaroni and cheese flavored candy canes. Wow. Again, this is a decadent culture. You've run out of ideas, so you just start putting stuff out there that doesn't make any sense. The mac and cheese candy cane from Seattle company Archie McPhee are billed uh, on the firm's website as comfort food that tastes like comfort food. Macaroni and cheese candy canes are a particular favorite of picky eaters, the website says. These candy canes taste like our childhood favorite, mac and cheese. It's like comfort food flavored comfort food. Macaroni and cheese has become a holiday family tradition in many parts of the country, so why not let your holiday candy reflect that? The candy canes cost four ninety five for a pack of six. I know what I'm getting you for Christmas, Chris. Mac and cheese candy canes. Okay, I gotta go take a Pepto-Bismol. I'll be back in uh, just a moment. 16 minutes after 5 o'clock, you're listening to the Fun Friday Edition, Part 2, The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show Podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 21 minutes after 5 o'clock. You're listening to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Chris Williams is engineering today's program. James Blend, who knows where he's gone? I don't know. Anyway, uh, chocolate lovers will soon have the chance to fulfill their sweet tooth in a whole new way by spending the night in a cottage made entirely of their favorite treat. Booking.com announced the delicious new venue over the weekend, which will open uh, with reservations for a limited time. Given the nature of the facility, I imagine it will only be available for a limited time. The 193-square-foot space located in La Orange. I don't speak French, but, you know, if you kind of, you're confident, you kind of do that thing, then you people just assume you, you must have it right. Anyway, it's in um, somewhere in France. Uh, is made out of 3,000 pounds of chocolate and can accommodate up to four guests. Uh, the cocoa confection was designed and manufactured by an artisan chocolatier, Jean somebody, and features everything from chocolate walls and roof, fireplace, dresser, clock, cups, books, cups. I'm not, I'm not sure I want to drink out of a chocolate cup after somebody else has had a chocolate cup. Anyway, books and even a chocolate calendar. Outside the cottage, guests can experience a white chocolate duck pond and chocolate flower bed, according to a press release. I hope guests will relish the chance to experience such a sweet and unique place to stay. Now, it might be sweet and unique, but you're not eating it, so what's the point? I'd rather just have a chocolate on my pillow, something I can do something with. Anyway, he says, if you fancy waking up in this chocolate wonderland, you better act fast. At 10 a.m., and this was about a week ago, chocolate lovers got the chance to fight for the opportunity to book a one-night stay on either the uh, 5th, which is today, or the 6th for just under $60. So... There you have. It. I guess my question would be, oh, I'm sorry, why? How do you sleep on a chocolate bed? I don't or know. Or a chocolate pillow. What about that the would sheets? Just be, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. You'd be a chocolate mess is what you'd what be. What about ants? Are they <laughs> That would be the <laughs> And other vermin that might <laughs> also find this attractive. Speaking of chocolate though, M&M fans were in for a great sweet treat, a surprise when the company behind the company, the candy rather, uh, the brand shared plans for two new products. Really, did we need anything other than M&M's? Either you like them or you don't. Anyway, the um, 
two new uh, products, chocolate bars and hazelnut flavored candies. The launch of M&M's chocolate bars is just months away. The bar will hit shelves in December ahead of M&M's hazelnut spread chocolate candies. They'll release in April, according to the Mars Corporation. Alice Bedrick, senior brand director for M&M Brands, noted that the company is trying to predict what customers are looking for. The industry is changing and consumers' tastes are evolving. We're continuing to recognize and anticipate demand. Well, the company also gave uh, Chocoholics uh, waiting for uh, the treats uh, to hit the shelves an idea of what to expect. There will be five types of chocolate bar flavors, almond, crispy, crisp mint, chocolate, ch- uh, milk chocolate, and peanut. Because, you know, you know, there aren't any other chocolate bars on the market that are almond, crispy, crispy mint, milk chocolate, or peanut. Uh, the snacks consist of smooth milk chocolate with whole M&M minis in, uh, that are visible throughout the large molded and shareable bar format. So they're just M&Ms covered in chocolate. Wow, I can hardly wait. Meanwhile, I think I'll just go have an M&M. I mean, if that's what I have a taste for, just go buy a bag of M&Ms. If you want them stuck together, put them in the oven. M&M bar. You've saved yourself some money. And then there's this. Dunkin' Donuts is getting a new name. Okay, it's not exactly a new name. It's just a reformation of the old name. Well, the restaurant chain announced this week that it's dropping the word donuts. Isn't it a donut shop? Okay. They're they're dropping the word donuts from its name and renaming itself Dunkin'. The shortened branding will align with the company's emphasis on coffee and other beverages. Dunkin' Brands said the Canton, Massachusetts-based company also noted that fans have long referred to its stores as simply Dunkin'. Our new branding is one of many things we're doing as part of our blueprint for growth to modernize the Duncan experience for our customers. Duncan Brands CEO and Duncan U.S. President David Hoffman said in a statement, we believe our efforts to transform Duncan while still embracing the incredible heritage. We keep our brand relevant for generations to come who have no idea if they were born yesterday that you actually have donuts. Because they think you're Starbucks now. I don't get it. You know, I'm getting old and crotchety. That's it. I'm like those older people who are complaining. Back in my day, you wanted to get a donut. It actually said donut. These days, you have to try to figure it out. What does Dunkin' have? What are you Dunkin' anyway? So I reserve the right to be old and crotchety about Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, excuse me, Dunkin'. Dunkin' who knows what. I mean, Krispy Kreme doesn't exactly say donut, but anyway, it's all so confusing. I'm still trying to figure out my phone, and now this. Okay. A Florida restaurant uh, is no longer uh, having Monkey Mondays after uh, the animal bit an eight-year-old boy. Now, my question would be... Who in Florida thought it was a good idea to invite a monkey to a restaurant with small children and food? Who thought this was a great idea that they have now canceled? A restaurant in Florida had canceled its weekly Monkey Mondays after a customer's pet monkey bit the child's finger. Uh, They started the exotic pet-friendly tradition when a local couple would bring their two monkeys to the restaurant and eat on the patio. The wait staff started calling the weekly practice Monkey Mondays. However, those days are over after a nine-month-old um, capuchin, that's the right way to pronounce that, named Jojo, bit an eight-year-old boy on the finger. The incident reportedly happened on the 16th of July when the boy, Jackson, spelled with an, a- an X, by the way, tried to grab Jojo, trying to play with him. Well, the monkey bit the boy's pinky, leaving a small cut on his hand. He was immediately rushed to emergency where he had open heart surgery. Well, Jackson, okay, I made that last part up. Jackson, spelled with an X, uh, was taken to the hospital but was released after doctors cleaned the wound. The Miami Herald reported that before the monkey uh, bit Jackson, the couple warned Jackson's father that JoJo was being hyper and Jackson should be careful. So the owners warned the father of the boy that the monkey was hyper. 
<laughs> and the boy should be careful. When my question remains, why is the monkey in a restaurant with other people and food? I'd be hyper if I was a monkey. I, I don't know. It's just too much. Old and crotchety. <laughs> this, this is where I am right now. Old and crotchety. And then there's this. Sending thoughts to another person's brain may soon, uh, may seem like science fiction, um, but this ability may be closer to reality than expected. Wow. A team from Carnegie Mellon University and the University of Washington released a study which describes how they connect the brains of three different people, allowing them to communicate without seeing or speaking to each other. Again, I'm old fashioned. I want to see your lips move. It's just just me. In 2013, we demonstrated the first brain-to-brain interface for direct communication and collaboration between two human brains. Uh, The author of the study from the University of Washington told Newsweek, the question that remained unanswered was whether one could create a social network of more than two brains collaborating to solve tasks that none of the individual brains could. BrainNet is the first proof-of-concept demonstration of this data. Well, the BrainNet system employs technologies called electrograms and cranial magnetic stimulation that enables three participants to passively send brain signals. For the study, the trio were linked using brain-to-brain interactions to solve a task that each of them individually could not do alone. So they had to collaborate, and somehow their brains, through this technology, were able to connect and communicate. Like right now, Chris, I am thinking, I'm thinking of something, and you try to figure out what it is that I'm thinking. Time for a break? That's it. There we go, if I could hit the button. Wow, I, I know. I'm amazed. We actually haven't. We haven't even been in the study. Cool. 30 minutes after 5 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're taking a look at some of the lighter side of the news. So I hope you'll join us in our next segment. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 36 minutes after 5 o'clock, you're listening to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Chris Williams is engineering today's program. Well, this was the headline in the Daily Mail. You can die from give up itis. People often pass away because they've simply given up. Doctors warn us. Uh, Warren, rather, as he uh, gives five telltale signs to look out for. People just giving up. Let's see, where are his five stages? Social withdrawal, apathy, age here. We're describing give up-itis. And he writes, abulia, um, if apathy goes unchecked, it can lead to abulia, the inability to take initiative and make decisions. Um, psychic akinesia, it can occur when a person's motivation drops so much, they may even become incontinent and lie in their own well, uh, psychogen, uh, psychogenic death, the final stage of give up itis, uh, someone totally losing the will to live. Not sure how this got in my packet of Friday fun items, but there you have it. Maybe somebody needed to hear that. By the way, don't give up. Your life has value. And then there's this. We're suffering from uh, choice overload. A study reveals lazy human brains give up trying to decide for more than 15 menu film or grocery items. Have you ever gone to a restaurant and they have literally a volume that's 50 pages long of menu items? It is a bit overwhelming. The, ba- the brain rather has to um, weigh up whether the efforts, uh, effort rather is worth it. Um, and as the number of options increases, so does the amount of work required. California researchers suggest between eight and 15 options could be ideal. Have you ever struggled to choose which film to watch, which meal to have at the restaurant, or which type of toothpaste to buy? You may be suffering from choice overload. This is definitely a first world problem. A study has revealed people struggle to make decisions when they're given too many options because their brains can't 
or rather don't uh, want to put the effort in. The mine's decision-making system is based on getting the best reward for the least work, scientists claim. Between 8 and 15 items could be the ideal range, they suggest, in which you can get the best results without thinking too hard. Well, it is rather interesting when you're buying toothpaste, for example, how many different toothpastes are. I mean, it's a free market. It's a capitalist system. I get it. But sometimes it is overwhelming. You're standing there thinking, you know, just under crest there. How many different kinds of crest do you do? You want your teeth white or do you want tooth decay? You have to choose. I kind of would like to have white teeth without tooth decay. Well, we don't have that. You have to buy two different tooth. It's just too much. Do I want pomegranate in my shampoo or do I want coconut? That is a difficult choice. Well, it is. I like I like your binary of do I want white teeth or do I want tooth decay? Hmm, what, I, I mean, gingivitis, is that okay? If my teeth are white, is gingivitis okay? <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know the answer. Oh. Snakes on a plane just got uh, literal. A passenger flying from Germany to Russia caused a stir when it was discovered he was carrying 20 snakes in his bag. Why, why do people do this? Uh, the man said that he... Um, Bought the snakes at a market in Germany. Uh, The reptiles were in canisters, packed in bags, carried in in hand luggage. Uh, There were no documents provided for the airline, uh, and that was a problem. Uh, The species of snakes will be determined by specialists, but according to the preliminary information, they are not a venomous species. I don't really care. I I just don't care to be seated next to one. The snakes were quarantined in Moscow before the passenger, uh, because the passenger lacked proper documents, including from veterinarians to bring the snakes into the uh, Dusseldorf um, flight to Russia. According to reports, German authorities noted there were um, no incidents at the security check before departure uh, and said carrying snakes on the plane isn't illegal, but proper approval is necessary. It's not illegal. So when I when I uh, I'm going to be traveling to India in about two and a half weeks, when I board the plane, the first thing I'm going to ask is I realize it's not illegal. Are there snakes on this plane? Are you aware of any snakes? And if so, where will they be seated? Because I do not want to be anywhere near them. Uh, Some Cannon Beach homeowners say what was once a cute attraction is now an infestation. I remember. One of the last times I was at Cannon Beach and I looked over and oh, there was the cutest little fluffy bunny. It was just hopping around the parking lot close to the Cannon Beach Conference Center. It was just adorable. Says one resident, Judy uh, Judith Pearson, I love the Cannon Beach bunnies. The rabbits are in the park, by hotels, and even in people's yards. They're cute additions, and I think maybe they help the tourist industry because people can come see the beach and the bunnies. What other town can say that? I love them, says yet another a visitor, by the way. My dog loves them. I'm sure he does. He loved them for lunch. I think they're really cute. Well, others thought they were cute, too, until the rabbits did well what rabbits do best, and that is they were fruitful and they multiplied. At first, when there were only a few bunnies, everybody thought, oh, how cute, says one homeowner. Now we're up to hundreds of bunnies. I mean, what do you do with them? They actually taste like chicken, just if you're wondering. My father-in-law had this idea years ago. It never panned out to make a, a burger stand out of rabbits. Ground, bur- ground <laughs> rabbit. rabbit. Yeah, Rabbit tastes, because I grew up, my dad would bring rabbit home. Never the rabbit. We just had the rabbit who was dressed. I mean, not dressed. He didn't have pants on. I'm just saying the rabbit was dressed. Anyway, and it does taste like chicken. Um, uh, Fitzpatrick and other homeowners said the rabbits eat everything in their yard. Now, that would be annoying. And they're posing health risks. They worry about grandchildren who can no longer walk around barefoot in the yard because, well, rabbits do what rabbits do and every other species of thing does. One homeowner wrote a letter to the Cannon Beach City Council asking them to take action. It read, in part... 
The manure is so thick on our yard that I have to first sweep up piles of it and then use my leaf blower to remove as much as possible to allow my grandchildren to play on what grass is left. Well, the city said it is currently taking input from the public. It sounds like a pretty, pretty good input. And we'll decide on um, whether or not they are going to take appropriate action and what that action might be. The city, though, said folks seem to be split down the middle when it comes to rabbit issues. It's kind of becoming, it's almost like politics. You don't ask what side you're on because uh, you're going to get an opinion one way or another. So apparently Cannon Beach is dividing over what to do with the excess of rabbits. By the way, raccoons are busting into um, Toronto residences, one Toronto woman's home. Uh, She walked in, found a raccoon staring her down while defiantly eating her bread. Like what? What are you going to do to me? Anyway, it was a night like any other when the raccoons made their move. Toronto resident Jenny uh, Surrealio, or something like that, had uh, enjoyed a quiet evening at home Tuesday and had gone to bed when she started, was startled rather, awake by noises coming from the kitchen. Well, what could that be? Uh, The culprit, three raccoons, had broken through her window screen, the target to her bread, leaping into action with a broom. She uh, made enough of a a commotion that two of the bandits decided uh, the goods weren't worth the whole thing, but the third simply stared at her from behind her toaster, picture provided, defiantly gnawing on her English muffin. He was like, I'm eating here. Get out, she said. Well, she didn't get out. Eventually, she uh, called 311, which apparently is what they do there, hoping the city would be able to give her some advice. They told her to try to find a 24-hour wildlife removal company. She couldn't get through to any. Uh, The standoff lasted over a half an hour, she said. I was growling at him, hissing at him, trying to scare him off, or out anyway, but he wasn't having any of it. Occasionally, he would even grab the, uh, uh, the broom handle that she was pointing at him and yank it really hard. Finally, after he had eaten literally all of the bread in her house, the last holdout got up and calmly walked back through the window, which he quickly locked. Um, that didn't stop the group from spending the next two hours scratching to get back in. Hopefully, he says, her locks will hold. Wow, I've never heard anything quite like that. And the story was um, trying to find the exact city, so I'll know to be beware if I'm there. I can't find it anyway. We need to take a break. 45 minutes after 5 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Last segment coming up, we'll let you know a little bit of what's coming up on the program next week and remind you that on Saturday, an up or down vote on Brett Kavanaugh is expected. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 50 minutes after 5 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick look at what's coming up next week. If the Lord wills and I live, on Monday we're going to talk with Nicole Bentz. Uh, She's with Oregon Life United. She's the spokesperson for the Yes on 106 campaign. That's the uh, campaign to end state-funded abortion in the state of Oregon. I'm very hopeful about this campaign. We'll talk with Nicole about how things are going and how you can come alongside and help. We're also going to talk with Wendy Pope. Yes, no, and maybe living with the God of immeasurably um, more. So we'll uh, talk with her about that and explain a little bit more what the book is about. On Tuesday, we'll talk with Drew Hill, and he is the author of Alongside uh, Loving Teenagers with the Gospel. So if you have teenagers or you love uh, some, this is a great opportunity for you to hear how to be more effective as you come alongside them. On Wednesday, we're working on a couple of things. Thursday, we'll talk with Ray Rhodes Jr. His book is simply titled Susie, The Life and Legacy of Susanna Spurgeon, Wife of Charles H. Spurgeon. Always interested in the rest of the story, and she plays a significant role in uh, his story. And so, we're going to talk about that with Ray Rhodes Jr. Uh, when he joins me on Thursday. And then on Friday, we'll do what we did today, and hopefully without 
uh, also having to cover some major breaking news story. However, if that's the case, we'll uh, certainly do it. So that's uh, that's the week that's yet to come. Well, Strategic Resource Group Managing Director Bert Flickinger on the future of Sears, Barnes & Noble, malls, vacancies reaching a seven-year high in the outlook for Christmas holiday sales, says it's over. Sears is finished. Once an American icon, Sears is spiraling downward and fast. And this week, reports surfaced that the retailer may close 11 more stores across the United States. I showed up at Lloyd Center looking for a new um, dishwasher, and there was no store there. Somehow I missed that they are completely gone, so I had to come all the way out to Clackamas, and they uh, had marked everything down because they, too, are coming to an end. The additional closures will start ahead of the holiday season and have already in our community uh, by layoffs set to begin two days before Christmas. Kind of a sad uh, timing. They'll likely impact at least six stores uh, and five Kmart stores in New York and Virginia and certainly all across the Fruited Plain, including right here. These closures may include one of Chain's um, most profitable U.S. stores. And according to retail expert uh, Mr. Flickinger, that would drive Sears out of business. So it may, in fact, be heading and going the way of all things. Kind of sad. I liked some of the Sears brands. And besides, it's nostalgic. You know, when I was a kid, we used to get the Sears catalog, and we never bought stuff out of the Sears catalog. But my sister and I, particularly in the summer before the start of the new school year, we would go through page by page and look at all the clothes we'd mark. I like that skirt or that sweater. We knew we weren't going to get them. <laughs> But we just enjoyed going through page by page and um, looking through that catalog at all kinds of things. It was kind of a fascinating thing. I suppose that was the uh, Internet of uh, of the day. You know what? I think that kids still do that. My kids, if we get do a— Do you get a catalog? Once in a blue moon, you'll find like at least like the Toys R Us catalog. Well, that's true. Christmas time. Things will come in the mail and, the, and, you know, they'll just look and be like, like, oh, this is really neat, you know. You know, I don't even refer to that as a catalog. That's more like a magazine. When Sears came out, oh, the thing was an inch yeah. uh, deep, at least uh, an inch thick. So you had a lot to go through. I mean, it had everything in it. Um, and remember, that was kind of a I fun thing. I remember at our house, it was the J.C. Uh, yeah, J.C. Penny, that, and, yep. And if, if you, you did something wrong, you would that would that would be the, uh, the paddle as well. Oh, really? Be, you I, got it with the catalog? Oh, that would, well... I mean, it was thick enough. <laughs> yeah, it was thick Drop enough. Drop it on your foot. I won't go into what we had in my house, but there was a lilac bush in the backyard. I'll just leave it at that. Mm. Love my mother. I really Will Vinton, an avatar of Portland's creative scene for decades, has died at age 70. Vinton had battled multiple uh, uh, myeloma for 12 years, according to a note on his Facebook page posted by his children. The full note read this morning, our father, Will Vinton, passed away surrounded by love from his uh, family. Uh, Will had endured a 12 year battle with multiple myeloma, although you never would have known it, uh, known of his fight for the vast majority of that time. He continued forward in his life and strength positively and humor and joined uh, tropical getaways, shepherding new creative ventures and caring for his two sons, daughter and wife. Will was the strongest man we have ever known, both in his work ethic and his mental resolve. He always said doing good work and everything else will follow. Uh, he never gave up on the things that were important to him. He saw the world as an imaginative playground full of fantasy, joy and character. He instilled in us the greatest values of creativity, strength and pride in one's own work. He created stories and characters filled with laughter, music and powerful lessons uh, that are globally beloved. He brightened any room with his signature mustache and he continued to make jokes and laugh until the very end. His work will live on in animation history and will continue to inspire creative thinkers and makers. We grieve heavily as our dad leaves a hole in our lives that will be impossible to fill. 
His wishes were for us to continue the projects he had started. We will try our best to do so. We will honor him in our own uh, work and strive to always embody his lessons. We ask that his passing be a celebration of his life and work. He wouldn't want us to be sad or discouraged, but rather to celebrate the wonder and beauty of life in in his name. We ask for support and understanding for our family during this time. Please leave a comment if there's something you would like to share about our father. We love you, Dad, Billy, Jess, and Alex. Uh, a very nice tribute left from uh, left by his three children. Well, a celebration of his life is uh, planned at the No Vacancy Lounge on Sunday, October 21st. The artist led a revival of the claymation animation form, winning the Oscar for Closed Mondays, as well as several Emmys. Perhaps his most famous creation, though, were the characters used in the California Raisin campaign. Who could forget them? Uh, Vinton also founded the Portland Creative Conference. He built his Will Vinton Studios into an internationally respected production house before Nike's Phil Knight in 2002 became the enterprise's majority shareholder. And in 2015, Portland Business Journal, uh, in an interview, Vinton said he held no ill will toward Knight. Some of the narrative I've read made the sale of the company to Phil Knight seem far more acrimonious, he said. We were up to 450 people in 2000. I really didn't find a true business partner that I was looking for to sort of move to the next level. By 2003, 2004, I was delighted, actually, to be able to step away and uh, shed it and see it as um, on as it uh, has beautifully under Phil Knight. Well, the sale itself was problematic. It was uh, very hardball, as might be expected, given the parties involved. But that's so water under the bridge, he says. I was absolutely ready to move on. I have absolutely no animosity whatsoever with a little bit of uh, perspective. It was a delight to see that enterprise, that baby, have the backing, frankly, that has been represented by LAIKA, L-A-I-K-A, which is apparently what... uh, what it does now. But uh, Will Vinton, sort of a Portland staple, had die, has died at uh, age 70. Kind of makes you think about what kind of legacy you or I might leave. I've, I've been working on, I'm, I'm going to be speaking tomorrow night at the India Partners uh, Banquet, and or I should say Sunday night, and I've been thinking a lot about legacy and what you leave behind. Um, kind of a good reminder that at one point, um, something like this is going to be said of us. Will Vinton dies at age 70. Now, the details will be different. It'll be your name or mine dies at age, it'll be whatever applies. And I hope all of us are ready for that, um, for the final epithet, that we're ready for, um, we're ready for that day when those of us who are believers, we look forward to, and that's when we see Jesus. And what we leave behind is something uh, that we'll be grateful for and will ultimately uh, honor the one we trust. So anyway, just uh, wanted to mention that. Well, I want to thank uh, Chris Williams for engineering today. I appreciate your stepping in. I know James Blend had an event last night, and as I've mentioned before, or tonight, mentioned before, he does a lot of other things here, and concerts are certainly one of them. And so he's um, off doing whatever he does at those things. Uh, but we'll look, uh, we'll look forward to being back on Monday. Again, Nicole Bentz will be my guest from Oregon Life United. We're going to talk about the Yes on 106 campaign. That's to stop state funding of abortion. If you wonder where that campaign stands, whether or not they need help, um, we'll talk about that with Nicole on uh, Monday. We'll also talk with Wendy Pope. Yes, no, and maybe living with the God of immeasurably more. Have a great weekend. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. 
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.